Thank you so much this morning. I'll only speak an hour instead of an hour and a half since Pedro has shared. I'm kidding. We have guests here. They're going, what is going on? Take your Bibles and turn to John chapter number four. John chapter number four. If you're just joining us uh, this morning, either online or in person, we had Palm Sunday where we focused on the triumphal entry of Jesus, that second entry into Jerusalem. We had Resurrection Sunday where we looked at Peter's sermon on the day of Pentecost and the highlighting on the resurrection of our Lord and Savior. And today we join back in with our study of John's Gospel. It's a small passage, so be encouraged by that, I suppose. But um, John has allowed us to walk alongside of Jesus Christ, and he is preaching the new kingdom, the good news, the gospel. He's presented this to a respected Jewish leader. You remember that with um, Nicodemus. He has presented this to an outcast Samaritan woman and today to an official working for the occupying Roman force, one of Herod's top men. God is showing us that the gospel is for those uh, everywhere and at all stations of life. Jesus saves to the uttermost and the guttermost. There, there's nobody outside the reach of our Lord. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter number 7, He is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God and He makes intercession for us. This should encourage you, brother and sister, on your mission as ambassadors of hope for Jesus. You don't have a friend or a loved one that is too high and mighty by society's standards for Jesus to reach and to melt their heart. And you don't have a family member that is too low in the gutter of life circumstances for God's love to lift them up. Nothing is impossible with God. This good news that God sent Jesus on a rescue mission from heaven is good news for all of humanity. It's good news for us as we engage our neighbors and our nations with the gospel. The Samaritan account is important. It's not just a, oh, this is big Bible words. Makes me sound like I went to Bible school. A parenthetical insertion. <laughs> you like that? It means a parenthesis inserted, but we like big words, right? But it's not just a stick in there because here's the deal. The Samaritan account gave us two great truths about God. He is the promised Messiah. And the Samaritans declare that he is, in fact, the savior of the whole world. That had to sting to the Jews in hindsight. John 1.11 says he came into his own and they received him not. And so here's this despised race declaring who God is. It's remarkable. It's so remarkable. The Jewish people at the time were hung up on a couple of things. They just out and out rejected Jesus' authority because he didn't go to the schools they went to. Or they demanded a miraculous sign. Or they wanted him to be a political leader. Imagine that. People hung up on rejecting authority. People jumped, uh, hung up on wanting to see something. Or people hung up on politics. The Bible is so out of touch today, isn't it? It's not at all connected. I mean, 40 men over 1,500 years writing this text, and it's written year, thousands of years ago, and it's as relevant today as anything. This morning text brings us a desperate 
dad searching for hope. The official's son was sick. He was absolutely desperate. He knew enough about Jesus to get to Jesus, but we're going to watch his faith grow right in front of our eyes this morning. I wonder as we get into the text, have you ever experienced significant, overwhelming, soul-crushing adversity in your life? We're tempted sometimes to look at those younger in the room and think they haven't lived life yet. No, no. Let me tell you something I've discovered. Young people of all ages and stages go through significant, soul-crushing waves of grief that are age-appropriate for them that are just as devastating as some of the things we go through as adults. They hurt. They express it differently. Well, kids are so resilient, maybe, with proper care and love. But all of us know pain. But I'm not talking about just everyday pain. I'm talking about this kind of fiery trial pain. I don't know what it is in your life that's come, or maybe it's in a friend's life. But I hope to encourage you by the text this morning. Let me say a few words before I give you the headers to write down. Let's talk about Jesus being in Cana of Galilee. He's journeyed back. He's back in Cana. What happened in Cana? His first... Miracle, I started to say it rhymes with miracle. that's not a word. But uh, his first miracle, right, where he turned the water into? Did he touch the water? This is the right answer. Did he go up and touch the vessels and say, oh, right, to make them turn? Everybody do this? No. He gave somebody instruction, they obeyed, and a miracle happened. What? That's pretty awesome. Put a pin in that. That'll jump back out at you in a few minutes. The first sign, he didn't touch it, he just gave the command, somebody obeyed. His mama helped him out too, because she said uh, to the servants, whatever he says, do, do it. Now my mama always told me, whatever I say, do it. But she's telling other people, listen to Jesus. And then we come into contact with this Roman official. I don't want to belabor this, but I want you to see who this man is. As far as we can tell, this is not the centurion mentioned in the other Gospels. This is a different leader. The centurion was a Gentile. There's evidence this man is a Jewish man. And I'll show you that in a moment. Um, the word here is basilikos. It's a nobleman. It's a king's right-hand man, almost a petty king. He's a man of great influence and power, and he's wealthy because history tells us that all of Herod's top boys had some bling. That's as modern as I can get, sorry. All of Herod's leaders had money to spend. They had wealth. Uh, and they squandered it often, but they had everything they needed to do anything they wanted. This guy has everything he needs, but he can't make his boy better. There's a problem he can't solve. He's at the top of his game, but his son is on his last breath of life. This is a legitimate concern. I want you to notice the first thing that triggers this growing faith that we see in our text this morning is this. Write this down. There is a great crisis. A great crisis. In verses 46 and 47, a great crisis. The man's son is sick. Look at the text. The last end of 46 and at Capernaum. There was an official whose son was ill. When the man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and said, Come down and heal my son, for he is at the point of 
dead, desperately sick. The kid has a fever, they can't shake it. The dad has watched the color drain from this child's body. He's seen the light in his eyes begin to dim. The sun is now staring but not seeing. Death is knocking at the door as the boy slips into a coma. As a father, as a nobleman, this king's assistant, this influential man, this powerful, get it done kind of fella is helpless. And he's hopeless. And he's shattered. This is a great crisis in his life. This may not strike a chord with you directly this morning. You may not have dealt with sickness in this way, but let me just tell you something. I know the congregation. It is, in fact, very personal to quite a few of us in the room. Maybe adversity comes your way differently. It's not just everyday stuff from our broken world this guy is dealing with, because if it was, he would have sent his servant to Jesus to get a word. This guy goes himself. That's how serious it is. When the devastating fiery trial comes and you are helpless and you are shattered, you can begin to identify with this man. Let me inject a ray of hope here so it doesn't feel too heavy on the first part. We were promised tribulation by Jesus. Pastor, when's the hope part? Yeah, right? But Jesus said, in this world you shall have tribulation. Peter later writes and says... Think it not strange when you go through the fiery trial. Now, I'm wishing that his preposition would have been if you go through the fiery trial. That's not what he said. He said, when you go through it, when you are shattered. Remember, uh, sorry to bust your uh, self-esteem bubble. You're not special. You're not special. You're just like everybody else because everybody is going to go through it. It's a promise from the Lord. And, and you say, okay, where's the encouragement, Pastor? Here it comes. Remember who our high priest is. Our high priest is the king of kings. The Bible says, the preacher writing in Hebrews 4, we have a high priest who's passed through the heavens. Jesus, because it's Jesus and not one of us, we can hold fast to our confession. We don't have a high priest who's not able to sympathize with us in our weakness, but one who in all points, in every respect, has been tempted just as we are, but without sin. Here it is. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Look at that verse. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of power. Yes, but that's not what it says. Let us draw near to the throne of an answer. Yes, but that's not what it says. It says draw near to the throne of grace. My dear brother, my dear sister, more than an answer to prayer in your life right now, you need to be washed in the grace of Almighty God. He will help you get through it, whatever it is. That you may receive what? Power to overcome? No, you need mercy and you need grace. And we need a lot of it. And he doesn't just pour it on indiscriminately. Like I said, it's a custom cut pattern of grace for your life. This crisis is so great. The nobleman goes himself. He goes to Jesus. He doesn't send somebody else, which brings us to the second point this morning. There is a genuine encounter, a genuine encounter. There's a great crisis that thrusts this man to the feet of Jesus. And now there's a genuine encounter where there's dialogue with Jesus. Jesus is going to say some things. The man's going to hear them and he's going to listen. 
We don't know exactly how this man heard about Jesus, but I think the clue is in the text. You ready? Here's the clue. So he came again to Cana, where he made the water wine. Now, why do you think that would be put in the text in verse 46? Now, I know that we're covering 47 through 50 here. I think the nobleman, even though Capernaum is a ways off, about 18 miles, and on a map, you're going to wonder if the nobleman doesn't know his direction because he's going to say, come down. And when you look on your map and your Bibles and your little Bible thing, you know, maps between Revelation and the back of the book, they're there for a reason. They're fun to look at sometimes. It looks like Cana's here and Capernaum's here, and that's kind of true. But what you don't see is if you had a, a topographical map, Cana's here and Capernaum's here. So he's coming down the mountain a bit to get to where he is. But that first miracle where Jesus turned the water into wine, don't you think the word spread? I mean, at least among wedding planners, don't you think the word spread, right? I'm, I don't mean to be trite about it, but like they were talking about this. This is one of those things that Jesus said, don't tell anybody. They told everybody. Isn't it funny how he told people in the Bible, don't tell anybody. They told everybody. He tells us to go tell everybody and some of us don't tell anybody. But they had heard, this man had heard about Jesus Christ. He had heard something about it. He heard enough about Jesus, though, to know that Jesus was different than any other man. He was worth getting to. He heard enough about Jesus to know that Jesus could offer him hope when nothing else he had could. So he had heard enough. He recognized that Christ was his only hope. He gets to Jesus. He engages Jesus with his problem. Jesus says something and the man listens. What did Jesus say exactly? Well, if you look at verse 48, Jesus said, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Now, this is one of those times that we pastors want to encourage you to get a good study Bible. To get a good Bible with cross-references and things like that that you read. Because if you read that text on the surface, you got the man, you got Jesus, and he says, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Sounds like he's talking directly to the man, doesn't it? In the original language, the you is plural. The southern dialect of this is, unless y'all see signs and wonders, y'all ain't gonna believe, Right? And the cadence of the text is such that he's addressing more than one. So there are other people here, even though the spotlight is shining, just on this leader and Jesus. He's saying you because he's addressing the Jews. Here's our kind of hint that this fellow is Jewish by birth. The Gentiles were seeking wisdom. The Jews were seeking a sign. Um, it lets us know there were other people standing there. I find it fascinating that this crisis is so big that everybody else fades in the text. And it's just Jesus and this man. I mean, you know there are other people, but it's a desperate situation. He's got the whole world in his hands, but he longs to just be with you. He wants you in his presence. And, and you will have his undivided attention, and he wants your undivided attention. And he'll take you in moments of crisis, or celebration. He just wants you. Just a note about what he says about miracles here. He says, this generation seeks a sign and a wonder. John's gospel will tell us very clearly. Now, this is gospel, pre-apostolic, establishing of the church, all that. John's gospel will tell us quickly 
that too much interest in raw miracles themselves is spiritually dangerous. John tells us that in chapter 2. He tells us here. He tells us in chapter 6. Miracles by themselves cannot compel genuine faith. Now we know that. We affirm that God works miraculous things. We affirm that God is a healer. We, as Grace Covenant, do not affirm in miracle workers or healers in that way, but we affirm that God does what God does. He's a miracle. God is the miracle worker. Amen? We affirm that. We believe that. Scripture teaches that. But we don't focus or go like a laser and try to study all of the miracles. Watch this, though. The apologetic Result and value of miracles, we should not despise though. Sometimes we're so far on this side, making sure everybody knows where we stand, it sounds like we're anti-miracle. Let me say this now. We're not anti-miracle. If so, none of us would be Christians. Because the greatest sign and wonder that lasts for all eternity is that God took your raggedy old soul and made it into something beautiful. By the blood of his son, Jesus Christ. You with me? We don't study miracles. We study the Bible. We don't live for miracles. We live for Jesus. We don't look for miracles. We look for the king to come back soon. We are the sign and wonder that the world needs to see. Lives transformed and made new by the power of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. All of this beautiful and riveting account comes to a flashpoint, though, When the official persists and Jesus says, go, your son will live. I said Jesus talked. He said two things, signs and wonders. And then he says, go, your son will live. Now I want us to look at the man's third point, growing faith. We're going to see it unfold right in front of our eyes. His growing faith here. Jesus says, go, your son will live. Verse 50. And the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. I'm going to leave that verse up for just a moment. Notice what's happening. Jesus gave a command. The official listened and obeyed, and he believed. He does not believe in himself. It's not what it says. He does not believe in belief. It's not what it says. He doesn't believe in a higher power. That's not what it says. He believes the word that Jesus said, and he acts on it. There's a difference. He goes on his way. While he's on his way back, the servants come back to him. That's the next couple of verses. They say his son's recovering. What time did it happen? It happened at the time that Jesus said. That's pretty um, remarkable there. If you look at the text, though, and see um, the end of verse 53, the father knew that this was the hour that Jesus had said to him, your son will live. And he himself believed and all his household. I got to tell you something. Um, Jesus did what he said he would do. He didn't have to touch him, didn't have to go where he was. But the main encouragement for the believer here is not that the official's son got well. It, it's, it's the official's faith growing and it impacting his whole house. Uh, now, when I had planned out this text months ago and knew we'd land about here and Pedro's dates kept shifting. And then when it was confirmed that Pedro was coming, I looked and I thought, of course he's coming on this Sunday for this text because this is Pedro's ministry and how it's happening around the globe. 
I want you to notice first, there is a, I want to look at this fire of faith that this man has very quickly this morning. It's a fire of faith that we see growing right in front of us that impacts his whole family. It starts as a spark. His faith in Jesus began as a spark. He had heard about Jesus. He had heard enough to get to where Jesus was. It was based on the report of others. It was only to deal with the great crisis as he saw it in his own life. Even though, watch this, his whole family needed Jesus. What brought him to Jesus was that great crisis with his son. Catch that? There's more going on, but he only sees the one thing. And then it turned into a feeble, tiny flame. He needed Jesus' power, but he says to Jesus, remember the text, come with me and go to where I am and do the thing you do where he is. Let's go this journey. You leave there and come here so you can do your thing. So it wasn't quite a raging fire yet, just a a tiny flame. And, And then we see this growing flame. He persists. He stays with Jesus. As Jesus addressed others, he wouldn't leave the presence of Jesus and said, my son is about to die. Please, please come. And then we see this fire of faith coming. You know what it came? It came when he obeyed. When Jesus said, go, your son will live. And the man believed and went. We see the fire of faith burning bright. The flame burns so bright that this man's family and household was impacted. This was the incredible miracle. Not just a sick kid made well, but a whole house coming to know Jesus. A whole house is converted, transformed, made new because of the word of God, made new because of the obedience of this man. Let's be honest. Let's be honest for just a moment. You and I are praying prayers that may not be answered the way that we hope that they're answered. So there's got to be something more at play that we're dealing with the tribulation that we deal with in this world. One poet says, doubt sees the obstacles, faith sees the way. Doubt sees the darkest night, but faith sees the day. Doubt dreads to take a step, faith soars on high. Doubt questions who believes, faith says, I, I believe. As Julia's coming this morning to help transition our time for a time of reflection. We'll sing one more song and be dismissed. I I need to ask you this morning, what are you looking for? A sign or a wonder? Some major answer to prayer? Are you looking to get into the presence of Jesus? I I, want to encourage you. I want to encourage you. If we want to see God glorified in our lives, then that's a, a responsibility for us to put ourselves with spiritual disciplines that he's given us in his presence? If God needs to use a great crisis in your life to get you into his presence, he's okay with that. If if God needs to allow great great adversity, the fiery trial, if he needs to shatter you in order to save somebody else, he's okay with that. The great crisis you see right now might only be the tip of the iceberg. This man knew his son was sick, but his whole family was sick in their souls. This man knew he needed to get to Jesus, but physical healing is temporary at best. Every blinded eye that Jesus opened one day was dimmed by death. Every lame man that he may walk, they might have leapt in the temple of God, walking and leaping and praising God, but eventually they attended that man's 
funeral. The only sign and wonder that lasts for all eternity is you and me transformed by the power of Almighty God. The great physician knows that all of humanity needs a heart transplant. More than an answer to your prayer, you need a genuine encounter with the promise keeper himself. And, And the more time you spend with him, the more time you spend with Jesus in his word and in prayer and with the people of God, The more you obey what he clearly commands, I promise you, I promise you, the more your faith will grow. Your faith won't grow by some magic pill or by taking some course or just by sitting under the preaching. As much as we like to delude ourselves and think this is a major part in disciple making, uh -uh, uh -uh. where disciple making happens is where you say, yes, Lord, and obey what he says. God longs for your devotion, not just devotions in the morning. You won't grow your faith on your own. God doesn't want you to just have faith. He wants faith to have you in such a way that you walk in obedience, that you impact others for his glory, and that you long to be in his presence. Church family, I've been praying for you. I've been praying for your faith to grow. And mine too. I've been praying for God to be glorified in the quiet places of our lives where nobody's watching. And I'm praying for your life to burn so bright for the glory of God that whole families come to Jesus. Let's pray. there are some in the room this morning who are in a great crisis or they're just stepping out of a great crisis, Lord. And and some of us are looking and and wondering what's going on, what's the bigger thing at play, God. We know, as our dear brother has illustrated already this morning, Lord, it's your glory. And and you move in peculiar ways to glorify yourself. So Lord, here, here we are today saying, we believe that Jesus is worth it. Whatever it is. We will willingly be spent by you so that you might be glorified among our neighbors and the nations, God. Grow our faith this week in a way that only you can. In Jesus' name, let the church say amen. Let's stand and sing one final song.